I'm going to do this. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? <laughs> Welcome to Cajun Country. Uh, if you are new to Connect, um, we want to welcome you as our guest today. Uh, we're embarking on a new series entitled Dynasty, where we're going to take an up-close look at relationships and see how they relate to our life uh, on a routine basis. I hope you guys are excited. You can get your worship guides out. You can get your follow us on version or your Bibles, any or all. It would be great. <laughs> Just gonna. <laughs> um, so so let's try to. <clears throat> she distracts me often. Uh, let's try to unpack this. First of all, again, welcome guests. Uh, if this is new to you, we just try to make church fun. And you know, one of the uh, essentials of, of healthy churches is that it's a place you uh, you don't. It's not a got to, but a get to. It's not a you know. I have to, but I want to. People, people should want to go to church. I don't know, but you, I grew up in church. Hey, just there were things about it I, that were very good for me, but there were things about it I didn't like. You know, I we, we were, I can remember times we were having revival meetings, and I'd be sleeping. You know, uh, as a boy, you know, under the pew, and you know, um, in, in, a, in a denominational church, just kind of sleeping away, and so. I don't want this to be something that you sleep through, something you kind of just endure. Maybe you got dragged here, pulled here, you know, I don't know, bribed here. I don't know. But I hope it's something that when you leave, you go, man, that was, you know, that was good. I feel good. And um, I want you to walk away not feeling, you know, oblig- obligated to come back or, you know, driven to come back, but drawn to come back and see it as an opportunity to return and, and learn more. Amen? Uh, what's, what's, what's really common in the... Um, I have a lot of Cajun friends. I can't do the, the Cajun jokes like they do, but um, what's really common down there is to uh, just have a good time and, you know, eat crawfish and crawdads and anything that grows in a creek or something, that, you know, make it, call it food, uh, jambalaya, whatever the heck that is. And um, I like jambalaya, but I'm just not really quite sure what's in it all the time. Amen. <laughs> but they tell Boudreaux, Thibodeau jokes, so uh, this isn't the greatest joke, but I'll, I'll just say that at the outset because I can't tell it like they do, but... Boudreaux and Thibodeau, two kind of, uh, you know, down by the bayou, true Cajuns. They had, Boudreaux had a little boy named Little Boudreaux. It was real complicated. And uh, Little Boudreaux was late to church one Sunday morning, and uh, he didn't know it was daylight savings time. And, of course, he was late anyway. And so the pastor saw him when he was coming in, but couldn't deal with the situation of him being late right away because he was busy with other things. And so later on, he came back to Little Boudreaux and said, Little Boudreaux, why were you so late? What's up with that? And uh, Boudreaux put his head down. He kind of felt bad about it. He says, I was going fishing with my pa, but my pa made me come to church. And so the pastor kind of smiled. He was excited because he was like, you know, you know, he's thinking in his head, you know, that's good. He, so the pastor told him, said, you're very lucky to have such a fine father to, to teach you, young man. And so uh, did he also explain to you why you shouldn't go fishing this morning? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The young man responded. What did he say? He said, Dad, there weren't enough bait for both of us, so I had to go to church. So if you didn't have enough bait and that's why you're here today, or if there's some other reason why you got dragged here today, I hope that you'll find that there's a little more to it than, uh, than what you might think and get something out of this today. Amen? Amen. Uh, our theme text for this particular uh, series is, is kind of connected to a statement that Uncle Phil would always say. By the way, Duck Dynasty, I don't, I don't you know, subscribe to everything that's stated there, everything that's said there, everything that they stand for, but there are a few things that they... Um, 
they stand for. And one of the things is just uh, Uncle Phil would always say, you know, we have a God-given right to pursue happiness. Or he'll, a lot of times he'll say, you know, we, we, we just need to be happy, happy, happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Come on, do it with a smile. Turn to your second choice and say, you need to be happy, happy, happy. <laughs> All right. Everybody has a second choice, right? Anyway, so... <laughs> When I talk about happiness in the context of this series, I'm not talking about circumstantial happiness. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, the good jokes make us happy, but they do make us happy. But I'm not talking about just camo and, and, and camouflage and, you know, set designs and things like that. When I mean happy, I mean, scripturally, the Bible calls us to, that, to live life to the max, to the fullest. In fact, in John 10, 10, the second half of that verse, it says this. It says, Jesus speaking. Okay, so this is, this is the guy... Uh, behind this, he says, I've come in order, Jesus came, that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Another translation says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So each week, we're going to look at relationships, because the truth is that the most happiness and the most pain comes in our relationships, doesn't it? I mean, the things that are the most satisfying, the things that are the most fulfilling are always connected to our relationships. Nobody ever died, on, you know, was on his deathbed and said, you know, I wish I spent more time in the office or I wish I got a little bit more vacation time. No, they're calling their loved ones near to them. They're calling those that are closest to them near to them. They're wanting to spend, if they knew you had a certain amount of time left, you'd spend all that time with the most important people in life because life is all about relationships, isn't it? But the truth is life has a lot of pain in it in the context of relationships too. So we're going to take a look at relationships and we're going to do it kind of through the lens of this show, Duck Dynasty, which is filled with some humorous um, kind of insights. And so I want you to buckle up because Cajun Christianity has arrived. Do you know that, do you know that Cajuns have a cheer? They have this, they have this cheer. They'll, they'll say things like this. Uh, guys, you guys know this. All you guys went to the men's advance, say hoo-ha. Or hoorah. You can do either one you want. But the, what, what, what the Cajuns do is they say, give me an A. a. Give me an e. e. What's that spell? A-E-E. That's a Cajun cheer. It's really like simple. It's dumb. Just put an A and an E together and go, A-E-E. Okay, anyway. That's funny. I don't care what you say. All right. So here's our series, Big Idea, and then I'll get going. Um, here's the idea for the whole series. Is God wants to build, you know, and help us build relationships that are a blast. But more importantly, that last they endure. We don't just survive. We don't just kind of get by, but they actually thrive and move forward. And today we're going to talk about the heartbeat of relationships, you know, just kind of the, what's the pulse of relationships? What's central in relationships? What's the heartbeat of relationships? And today's big idea is that everything begins and ends with the heart. Everything. You can't go forward without taking a hard look at the heart. You can't end strong without a strong heart. Have you ever had your heart broken out there? Anybody ever had their heart broken? Anybody? Let's look at this clip from Duck Dynasty of somebody who got their heart broken, or at least that's what it looked like on appearances, and some of the advice that the family was giving this young man. You can dim the lights, and uh, let's play that clip. <laughs> this is called Shot to the Heart. John Luke and his girly. She gone. John Luke is becoming a man. Unfortunately, part of becoming a man is learning how to deal with heartbreak. When I was a kid and I got wounded, I went to the woods. You spent a lot of time in the woods, didn't you? <laughs> Being in the woods soothes the soul. We've all had our differences, but when a Robertson man's hurting, we all come together to help each other out. John Luke, women, they're just hard to predict. You can't be all down and sad about it. 
it's, it's really not that bad. Don't worry, son. I know what you're feeling. Breakups are difficult. How long did you date the girl? A month. That's it? I've always been more of a heartbreaker than a heartbreaky, but I can still relate. You can't get all shook up, you know? Mm -hmm. If there's six billion people in the world, you assume half of them's women. Three billion to choose from. That doesn't mean that all of them are available for him. Two billion are available. No, not that many. I'm trying to teach my kid to have some standards here, Jace. I think there's one billion available. That is and that's too still many. a lot. That's too many. Not to roll over for the first billion women that come after him. John Luke, the point is Robertson men are not chasers. We're the chasees. Come on, boys, we gotta chase these things. Oh boy. I know that most people wouldn't have gunfire punctuating their therapy sessions, but sometimes that's just what you need to clear the old head. It's like the sea. There's tons of fish in the sea, right? He's right there. Hey, there's bluefin tuna, there's yellowfin tuna. We're talking about women, huh? There's snapper, sharks, hammerhead sharks, fried shrimp. We're not naming all the fish in the sea. But the shrimp are not fried in the sea. Well, hey, you saute them. We're not talking about cooking shrimp here. Yeah, hey, I done got hungry. <laughs> 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 Looks like today was a huge success. Big hug. I'm good, I really am. It's here, it's free. Not only did I bring happiness to my parents. Hey, hey, hey. Look. Oh, sweet. Does that bring tears to your eyes? But I showed John Luke that Robertson men are like sharks, always moving forward. Yeah, we're going out again. Of course you're gonna go out again. You're gonna go out with tons of people. Like me and her, we're going out again. What? I just texted her and we're all good now. <laughs> well, maybe John Luke isn't ready to be a shark yet, but when he is, I'll be right here to pass on some good old-fashioned Robertson wisdom. I call a good fish. I'll keep her. He's right. There's cod, there's snapper, there's fish stick. Ah, how about octopus, shrimp, oh, crab? I've had enough of this. Well, the, uh, the Robertsons have a tendency to oversimplify complicated things. and so, uh, But I, I know that many of us have had our heart broken for real. You know, there's nothing more painful then let's say the rejection of a loved one or some experience that you might have had that really, really hurt real bad. And, and it hurts your heart. It hurts you at a heart level. Um, when I was a young man, I learned this, but far more since that, again, everything begins and ends with a heart. I can remember in, 19, in late spring of 1972, my dad, my father, my earthly father, had a heart attack. He was... Uh, he was at the ripe old age of 29 when he almost left this life um, and left our family. And besides, you know, the rather tumultuous drive that he had when he, when this, when he had his heart attack, he, he asked Randa, my mom, to take him to the hospital. And, and this, this drive was, 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 it's another story all by itself that I don't have time for this morning. But it was rather comical because my, my father feels like he's going to die and he's having a heart attack. And my mother is stopping at every stop sign and obeying every traffic light. And, and they're having an argument and he's yelling at her like, I, I'm dying. And she, I know, but it's a red light. And, you know, and it's just, it's a funny, it's, anyway, to his chagrin, uh, they got there to the hospital, and, and again, that, that particular day, I, I learned that the heart was a vital organ, you know, it was, it was essential to life. Uh, my dad actually had a heart attack when he was 29, his dad had a heart attack when he was 39, and his dad had a heart attack when he was 49, and on my 19th birthday, I was sweating bullets. <laughs> 
and that day, again, I understood more about what was really going on there because we went to the emergency room that day and the medical staff, you know, they feverishly checked uh, my dad's vital signs. The first thing they did was check his vitals to see kind of what, what was the health status based on these vital signs. And, and, and all of these vital signs were a reflection of the condition or symptom or byproduct of the condition of his heart. And if you've ever entered an emergency room any time in your life, they would, just this last Friday, I was kind of going for a checkup, and, and they, they immediately, they just do your vitals. They want to make sure before they do something else that everything under the hood is, is okay, and check your blood pressure and different things that they would do beyond that, and, um, because it's critical, it's essential, it's vital, because they know everything begins and ends with the heart, and it, it, so the body goes where the, as a result of what's going on with the heart, and the same thing is with relationships. The relationships go as the heart goes. It's a vital organ to our physical life. It's a vital organ to our relationships. The word vital, it's not in your notes, but it basically means crucial. It means extremely important and necessary or indispensable to the survival or continuing effectiveness of something or you could say someone. The truth of the matter is that you can't really effectively uh, deal with health issues until you deal with the heart. You can't effectively deal with health, healthy relationships until you deal with the heart. And so at the outset of the series, I just want you guys to, to try to capture this, this idea. We can't move forward until we deal with the heart. We're going to talk about all aspects of relationships. Next week, we're going to talk about conflict resolution and communication because it's one of the number one problems in relationships is effective communication. Uh, we'll also talk about my wife will help me, and we'll be talking, kind of doing a dual uh, service, my wife and I together, talking about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about single life. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. Anyway, <laughs> it'll come up every now and then. And um, one of these days, I'm going to do a message. It's going to happen. Lord of the Ringless. Um, and I'm going to have the movie clips and everything. I don't know how I'll blend that in, but it'll happen. But uh, the, we're going to talk about all aspects of relationships. But for those, for those principles and those precepts that we will share that are, that are so life-giving, so helpful, and so applicable to everyday life, for them to really work, we have to first deal with this vital organ, the heart, the heart of the matter. The heartbeat of relationships. Jesus knew how important this was. Look at the scripture in your worship guide. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. This is what it says. One day the Pharisees were questioning Jesus about a subject. The subject was divorce, the D word, the big, the big D word. Some Pharisees came to him and tested him, as they often did, and they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, like they used to do back then? That's the context, just so you know. Haven't you read? He replied, Jesus speaking. He says, He takes him back to foundations and he says, Hey, didn't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. This is God's math. One plus one equals one. All right. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So I hear what you're saying, big dog, but what about this? Why did this happen then? In other words, if you want, you know, us all always, you know, to be together, why did Moses let your servant, you know, servant let this happen? So Jesus replied, and he really gives us the most important issue in relationships in this reply. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because, say this with me, your hearts were hard. Come on, say it again. Your hearts were hard. So if I could, if I could, you know, if the old, I have this tape deck in my mind that I used to have in my house. If I could just put a pause on the tape deck right there. And just, just 
if you could bookmark that thought, hardness of heart is really what we're dealing with today. But it was not that way from the beginning. In other words, the issue is not, the issue is not Jesus is saying somebody, something, someone, some circumstance, some behavior, whatever you could come up with. The issue is hard hearts, arteriosclerosis, as it were. That's what really kind of gets in the way. In other words, it's not about you've seen these commercials and you see these drug ads and you see these therapies that sometimes people get out there. It's not about, you know, the symptomatic care. It's not about shortness of breath or the pain in your chest, your legs being numb, coughing, sneezing, itching, watery eyes, all that stuff, even diarrhea. It's not about that. Just see if you're paying attention. Um, you remember those kind of commercials when they purport all those symptomatic issues? It's not that. It's not the outside. It's the inside. It's a different it's a different issue. What's really wrong here is not out there. It's in here. Think about this. It's kind of counterintuitive, you know, um, and, and this is something that kind of has evolved for me uh, as a pastor over years. I realized that people have problems. All God's children have problems. If you don't think you got a problem, that's your problem. Right? So we all got problems. And so sometimes we don't want to get help. We don't ask for help. And it's crazy because in... In uh, other parts of our life, we realize we need to do that. For example, if your car, you know, you know, with your car, if we're smart, if we're wise, we would maintain it. We think of preventative maintenance when it comes to our car. In other words, we don't wait for the engine to just fall out of the engine block and then replace it. We instead, right, ladies? <laughs> All the ladies, <laughs> come on. Uh, we don't wait for that. Why do you wait? <laughs> I have a daughter in Alabama now. It's like, I can't monitor it. Anyway, um, but we're supposed, to, we're supposed to get the oil changed, and we're supposed to rotate the tires. Come on, somebody. We're supposed to take care of things, right? And why don't we do that in relationships, though? Why do we wait for a huge problem to come before we, we do something about it? Do you know how often, and I'm not saying this, this is just unqualified, okay? Just, just take this the right way. But, but it's so common to get a call at this office or, or get, a, get communication somehow to our, to our leadership, and it, it, it's crisis mode. It's critical. It's, it's ICU only. And, and, and it's so hard to help right then because, because this problem was progressive and it was systemic, and if we could have gone all the way back here, it would have been an oil change, but all the way up here, it's a new engine or a new person. At least that's what they think the solution is, right? And it would be so much easier if we could get involved earlier. And so I think people should get counseling from time to time when there isn't a problem. But the world's got us convinced that counseling, I don't want to say I need counseling because then I'll be saying I have a problem. You do have a problem if you're saying that. We, we all, it's, good, it's a good idea to go from time to time. So a few years ago, my wife and I started going to counseling periodically. We still do. See, really? You're the pastor. That makes me really uneasy. Because, not because it's a big problem, because we don't want to have a problem. We have kids that are growing up. Eventually, in Jesus' name, they'll leave the house. <laughs> Lord, please. No, just kidding. But they're going to come to that place where the home's not going to be so kid-centric and everything revolves around their schedules and blah, blah, blah. And it's just going to be me and her and her and me. It's going to be awesome <laughs> because we've been working on it. Are you guys getting that? It is awesome. I'm just being funny with you. It really is. For her, I don't know, but for me it is. But 
but you get what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, if you employed that kind of wisdom and that kind of thinking, it won't work if there's not a heart change. It won't work if in your heart you're not receptive to it, open to it. You just go, and people do this all the time. Counseling didn't work. No, you didn't work. You didn't let God work on your heart. You didn't work. That's why it didn't work. Because it's not sometimes that there's anything new under the sun or some new heavy revy you're going to get. Sometimes it's, we don't need to learn anything new. We just need to be reminded of what we already said we knew. That's why we go to church. There's only so many things that can be taught, you know. Sometimes it just needs to be repeated until we actually live it and do something about it. So our heart is harder to change because of the tendency we have sometimes to minimize how important a heart is. Sometimes our heart doesn't want to change because we have a tendency to drift, the disease of drift, drift wood. You know, you go to the beach and everything tends to drift when you get in the water. Life is like that. And this is why church can be so helpful as well because it can remind us where we have drifted and how far away we are from what God intended for us. And Because we can't see. We can't see what we can't see. We don't know what we don't know. We all have blind spots. I'll never see the backside of my head. I'm trying, but I just can't seem to see the backside of my head. I need people or I need someone or something to help me see what I cannot see. And we got to keep working on this. You know, healthy relationships sometimes, healthy marriages aren't spelled L-O-V-E. They're spelled W-O-R-K. Work. Just work at it. Why? There's a physics term. This isn't in your notes as well. A lot of bonus to begin, but there's a physics term. It's called entropy, E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. And it means anything left alone to itself eventually disintegrates and will disappear. If you just leave it alone, if you just leave this water bottle right here, you think this water will be here forever? It'll be here a long time. Don't get me wrong. But there is evaporation taking place, unseen. It's happening. Hours go by, days go by, weeks go by. Eventually, the water would just continue to evaporate. There's a scripture in the Bible in Luke 21, 34. It just says, you know, just as, as we approach kind of the end of things, it says, be careful, be watchful. Uh, don't let the cares of this life, the anxieties of this life, basically trap you, suffocate you. It talks about uh, dissipation, the dissipation of this life. Dissipation is just like evaporation. You can't see it's happening, but it's happening. It's beneath the surface, sometimes undetectable, but it's happening. That's why we have to keep working on things, because if we're not moving forward, life is motion. You're not just treading water, staying in the same place. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. That's more profound than you probably realize. The world knows that. And that's why the world is constantly bombarding you, trying to pull you in a certain direction, trying to move you in the wrong direction. The world has, has, a, has a definition, has a plan for your relationships. They're toxic, has a plan for your marriage, wants to tell you what happiness is going to be. The world has a plan for your money. MasterCard wants to be your master. Okay? And so we need to put effort into certain things in order for them not to disintegrate or disappear. Can I have an amen or an oh me? I love it. I love how it hurts, Pastor. But people whose hearts drift away, you know what? People who, who, who don't get it right here and are constantly recalibrating our heart and conditioning our heart, you know what happens is we, we start saying things in our relationship, I just don't love him anymore. We just, we just fell out of love. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. No, it's all gone. It's like we just fell out of love. We just don't have that feeling anymore. We don't, we don't feel the same way we once did. How did that happen? How do we become open to something else or someone else? Entropy. 
We let it just disintegrate and just disappear. We let it just kind of, you know, collide with other options and other opportunities. And, and, and the heart will tell you more, again, about your life than you possibly can imagine. Proverbs 4.23 tells us this. Look in your notes. It says about the heart. It says, above all else, what does it say? Guard your hearts. For out of it, it is the heart. Out of it are the issues of life. Everything goes and flows from our heart. The heart will tell you a ton. But how are you going to know if your heart's okay? How are you going to know, oh, I think my heart's okay. How are you going to know? How, will you, how can you tell the status and the condition of your heart, if it's healthy or not? With my dad, they had to do certain, initially it was vital signs, and then it was stress tests, and then it was EKGs, and, and sometimes they, they go to a certain level with these type of things to intentionally examine the heart. And that's kind of what this series will do along the way is intentionally examine certain parts of our relationships, in particular today, our heart, to see the impact that it has on our relationships. Most people are going along thinking everything's okay with their heart until there's a problem. It's incredible to me the, the, how, just like a heart attack, you, you know, people say things like, all of a sudden, he, you know, he had a heart attack. He just dropped dead. You know, it, 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 um, you know, he had a sudden heart attack. Has anybody ever heard what I'm talking about? It's always sudden and unpredictable when it comes to the heart. And if the heart, natural, has a direct correlation to our relationships, that it's so incredible how many times people say to me, um, going through a major problem in a relationship, and one party is different than the other. One party's like, I don't know how he didn't know. The other guy's like, I was shocked. I had no idea. Or vice versa. I'm telling you, as God is my witness, this has happened to me more times than you can imagine. One person shocked because they didn't have any idea what was going on at a heart level. No idea. A heart attack came. It was unpredictable. Nobody could see it. But we really don't know the status of something sometimes until it goes wrong. And that's not the best way to handle relationships is wait until things go wrong. We have to sometimes do some things intentionally to see what's really going on under the hood. Heart disease is still the number one killer in America in the natural. Did you know that? 600,000 people die a year of heart attack. 35% of all deaths are heart attack. I think it's the same, if not way more, with relationships. More relationships are destroyed because of heart issues, and more relationships can be healed than any other, in any other way if our hearts were healed. I, I personally believe you could overcome any obstacle if our hearts were healed and whole. Any. Any and all. As God is my witness, I believe that. But the thing is, when you're sick, in most areas of your life, you know it. My wife doesn't feel good today. My, my sweet wife, she doesn't feel good today. She's had a little cold. And I'm not trying to call attention, just for an illustration. But if you want to pamper her and send her stuff and everything, <laughs> gifts, you can, you can do that. Um, just make my life easier. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> but she's not feeling good. She's, she's, got, she's got the sniffles, you know, snuffleupagus. You know, it's just, it's, it's, ter- it's awful. And, and, you, and you know when you don't feel good, when you're sick. And you got a cold, you got a flu, you got a bug or something like that. It's very visible if you had those kind of symptoms. But, but what most people don't know is that when you have a cardiac issue, it's undetectable in almost all cases. Almost all cases. I have a friend who had a um, stress test a few years back, a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. Big church. His, his, uh, his, his staff said, you know, you need to go get some tests because you know, there's a lot riding on you, and they put a special insurance plan on them, key man insurance plan, and they were doing all these, they wanted to have them, all, this, all this full physical makeup workup done, and, and uh, while he was there, they were doing all these tests of his heart, just to make sure everything was good, and, and, and everything came back great, 
And through some just un, unpredictable circumstances, divine perhaps, he, he had an extra test, just one more look. And when they went in, they looked a little bit deeper beneath the surface. The stress test and the EKGs did not reveal that he had some major blockages in certain parts of his body or whatever. And he was this close with one stressful situation. And the way he preaches, if you ever saw him, all the veins didn't come out. And he actually wears banda, bandanas on Sunday mornings and sweats to death. And, and he's just very just high voltage. And if he had one more stressful situation, the doctor said he was this close to just being gone. 40 years old. And he could have had a major heart attack. Why? It was undetectable. And there are some incredible spiritual parallels to this natural thing. There are some things that we don't even know are hurting us in our relationships sometimes. And the truth is, at the end of the day, we need Jesus' help for this. That's why I'm such a strong proponent of faith and family and friends. Because you need relationships, but you need the primary relationship. There's a, brother, there's a friend that sticks closer than the brother, and his name is Jesus, the Bible says. And we need somebody who navigated this life perfectly, who has answers when, when other people don't have answers, who, who has the perfect response, who can show us. The Bible says to study how he did it and do it the way he did it. It tells us that in the scriptures, and it's just good to have Jesus in your life, not just as someone you can study from a book, but as someone you can relate to in your prayer life. The love of God, the, the intervention of, the, you know, of Jesus, the, the local church, it's really the hope of the world still to this day. But you might be here and you say, well, I don't have a heart problem. <laughs> I don't have a heart problem. Okay, okay. Everything's fine with me, you know. I'm here at church, you know. I got good friends in my life and, you know, I do good and, 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 and I'll, I'll know if there's a problem. That's, that's dangerous. I just want to tell you that's dangerous. It's, a, that's a, it's an unhealthy way to handle it. And today I want to help you identify some of the kind of blockages, some of the, some of the unseen things that you may not realize are there, and maybe they'll kind of uh, pop for you so we can avoid this heart disease. And let's look at some of the blockages that can cause a heart attack in our relationships. Number one, the first one is selfishness, or you could say self-centeredness. Selfishness instead of serving. I want to contrast it with another word. Selfishness instead of serving. This first one is genetic. <laughs> in other words... You just came into this world this way. Nobody had to teach you this. No, you didn't have to acquire this. There wasn't a training program for this. Like, you just naturally know how to look out for you. <clears throat> I naturally know how to look out for myself. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. And when you, we live in a take a picture crazy society, don't we? I don't know what you call that, but just pick people. We'll call it that, right? selfie central, take pictures. When you take a picture or somebody takes a picture, who's the first person you look for in a picture? Right, yourself, me, myself, and I. And if you don't look good in that picture, what are we going to do? Redo the picture, right? There could be 35 people in a family portrait, and if you didn't come out good, we got to do this all over. If you're the head of the house and all the kids came out ugly, but, you know, who cares? You know, vice versa. If everybody came out perfect and you came out bad, we're doing it all over. But, Dad, you know, I just threw up. I don't care. I look good in this one. We're doing this one. Print them. <laughs> you know, because, because we're, we're self-centered. We're being challenged in our society, even more conditioned by a society to be extremely meistic. And we draw lines in the sand and even more and more because we're, we're not sometimes getting what I want in the relationship. I, this is the things we say unconsciously, what you hear conditioned through culture. What we sometimes say out of our mouth is, I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. I've actually said that in 22 years of marriage. That's actually happened before. And she doesn't deserve that, but that happened because of selfishness. 
I didn't sign up for this, woman. <laughs> you know, Adrian. What, in other words, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What have you, what have you done for me lately? And my wife, well, I'll tell you what I've done. <laughs> you know, and she could rattle that off. And then it's just this me battle, selfish battle. You know, and if, if you don't get treated right, then you're like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. Where we don't see that in the Bible. The Bible talks about not, not selfishness. It talks about selflessness. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. When you become a Christian, you don't actually get up on the cross, but you, you crucify this flesh. You don't, it's not, it's not self-denial. It's denial of self. Self-denial is I'm still alive. And I'm just doing it, waiting for reciprocation. Self-denial is I'm doing it out of discipline, which doesn't last. Denial of self says because of what Jesus did for me, I'm empowered to do the same thing for others. Amen? And so it's different. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So when I used to come home, when I lived on 89 and 91 Pleasant Street down here at the end of the street, I come home after a long day and I'm tired. And selfishness is creeping up. I've been working. I've been working. There better be a home-cooked meal, baby, when I get home. And you better greet me with a kiss. And you better have that little apron on and that little sweet thing going. And, you know, and the kids better be all tucked in, all where they need to be, and candles and all kinds of stuff, and Barry White in the background. <laughs> I'm not saying all of that, but most of it, you know. And I'd get to that doorknob, and I used to call them doorknob prayers, and I'd say, oh, God, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Help me, Lord, to serve my wife. And regardless of what's on the other side of here, I don't expect that. I desire that, but I do not expect that, Lord. And it would be great. But if it's not, you empower me. Open the door. Take these kids! Ah! There's a poop in the bathtub! SpaghettiOs are burnt! <laughs> SpaghettiOs. No. How many know what I'm talking about out there? You know what I'm saying? And when I got married, you know, I determined that I would live my life for her. I said things like, forsaking all others, I choose you. I made a vow. I made a vow, and the words are coming out of my mouth, and I'm not even, I'm not even aware what I'm saying. I said I do so that I could serve her, but really in my head and in my heart, I'm thinking I do so I can get mine. There had to be, there had to be a death at that altar in a way, but I didn't die there. I died slowly. Really, really slow. It's much more painful. So <laughs> that means I'll be concerned if I really understand love right and selflessness right. I'm going to be more concerned about her than I'm going to be concerned with myself. And, and I don't do it for reciprocation. But when both people are doing the, when it is reciprocated, that's when relationships work. But I can't start with her. I have to start with me so that we can work it out. Are you getting that? Because selfish people are like the Grinch. You remember him, the old song? He's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You know, he had a shrunken heart because he isolated himself, because all he could think about was himself, because the world revolved around himself. And as a result, he was a mean one, Mr. Grinch. He wasn't happy. James 3, look at your notes. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your what? Hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, of the devil. Come on, James, tell us how you really feel. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder. Disorder, that's really a heart condition. That's arteriosclerosis, a disorder. And every evil practice comes out of that disorder. 
Philippians 2.3, it's not in your notes, but you know, we're supposed to prefer others to ourselves, and we're not supposed to live for selfish ambition. So that's the first one. The next one is rejection. What causes a heart attack is rejection. Instead of respecting, some type of hurt or wound probably has transpired here. Could be something serious, like loss of someone. Could be something tragic. Could be like something simple, like a shot to the heart, like this video we saw earlier, but maybe a little bit more significant, where, where somebody hurt you. You were in a relationship. Somebody broke it off with you. Somebody rejected you formally. And often what happens with rejection, and I can't do it. There's a, I could do a whole message just on this one point, is rejection uh, begets rejection. When you're rejected, this is what the enemy wants you to respond like, I've been rejected, so now I'm going to reject people before they reject me. Oh, you'll never do that to me again, so I'm going to reject you before you reject me. And the very thing we need to keep us healthy and happy, happy, happy is relationships. But we're going like this. Here's, you know, we're giving everybody the highs, but don't get too close, don't get too close, because I'm not going to let you do that to me ever again. But the truth is there's no return without risk. All relationships have a risk to them. I know I'll be hurt from time to time in relationships, but the gain by living a life in relationships, healthy relationships, the pursuit of healthy relationships, doing them God's way is way greater than the few times that I might be rejected. I hope you guys get what I'm saying. It's way greater. Rejection says I'm going to put you out of my life rather than respect you, and it's not what we think of them, but what God thinks of them. I remember in high school I experienced some rejection that... That's kind of hard to share when your wife's in the crowd, but I remember dating this girl. Stacy knows this story. And, um, and let's put it this way. Um, we, I like this girl. She liked me. Um, she was Puerto Rican. Uh, I, I, at that, back then, that was a big deal. I'm just going to be straight up. Can I do that? There's some Puerto Ricans in the house. All the Puerto Ricans, come on. Whoop, whoop. All right. So back then, for some reason, that was a big deal. But it wasn't for me. I don't have a prejudice bone in my body, right? But all my friends are like, what, what, what? I'm like, dude, I'm just saying, she's pretty. Who cares? And so, so I wanted, the only thing I really, you know, was preoccupied with was I wanted, to, I wanted a pretty prom date. It's pretty self-centered and surface, but that's really what I was after, right? I wanted a pretty prom. It's my senior year, and um, so I invited her to go to the prom with me. Well, she, she wanted more than that, and so basically she was kind of trying to move things along, and I wasn't really interested in that. So I said something to one of my friends. Well, one of my friends said something to her, and so she got hurt. She got rejected. So rejection begets rejection. So what she did was, she went, without me knowing it, went back to her old boyfriend, told her, him that she'd like to be back together with him, and said, I want to go to the prom with you. He said, okay. Got prom date with her while, he's going, while she's still going with me. Next day she comes to school and she hands me my prom tickets and says, I don't want to go with you anymore. I've gone back to my, you know, I've gone back to my, uh, my, my I was going to say my husband, to my boyfriend. And I was like, what? This was three days before the prom. Three days before the prom. So I did what any guy would do. I went back to my house and cried my eyes out for about a day and a half. <laughs> Just kidding. It was about a half a day. Uh, so so while, I'm, while I'm in there brooding from the rejection, I, I, I get this great idea. You know, I'm stewing and brewing. And I, and I remember this, this, this girl that I, that I knew growing up in middle school. And we went to different high schools, parted, parted ways at high school. She went to Mary and I went to Framingham South. And... Her mother loved me because I mowed her mother's lawn. And I thought, oh, I'm going to call Mrs. Donovan. 
And so I called up Mrs. Donovan. I said, Mrs. Donovan, and she goes, oh, hi, Terry. She's so nice. The lawn looks so great. I go, I know, I know. I do all the little extras for you because you're so special, Mrs. Donovan. And I said, Mrs. Donovan, um, the reason I'm calling is not to try to, you know, do I owe you money? No, I don't owe you money. You don't owe me money. I'm calling because I, I really was, I heard through the grapevine that your daughter didn't get to go to her prom. And what had happened is her daughter didn't go to the prom because she was sick. And she put all this, 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 this nice dress and all this kind of stuff, and she wasn't feeling well, and, and it's kind of a big deal. The, the previous year at Marion High as a junior, she was the prom queen. So I had a little agenda. So I said, Mrs. Donovan, I just felt so bad for her, and I was just concerned, and I'm just thinking, you know, maybe she'd want to go to my prom, and I don't know. What do you think? Oh, that is so sweet, Derek. That is so nice. Are you, what do you want me to do? I said, oh, if you could just put in a good word, I'm going to call her in just a few hours. I'll call her tonight, you know, after she gets home. Okay, okay, okay. So I call her up. Of course, Miss Donovan greases kids. I talk to, 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 the, to this girl, Carrie. She says, yes, uh, we're, it's on like Donkey Kong. So we go, <laughs> go to the prom, and there's my, 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 my ex date. Or the boyfriend just kind of dancing away, you know, whatever. And then I come in, and I've got the former prom queen from Marion High School with me. Thank you very much. And I walk in, and I'm like, hey. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, do a little pirouette, lady. <laughs> come on. Check it out, you know. And it was awesome. This has nothing to do with my message. I just, it was a great experience. I get, I'm getting worked up. Okay, what's the point? The point, the point, the point is that experience marked me. It was rejection, you know, and, and it hurt me, you know, and it affected me. And I, and I wanted to vindicate myself. I wanted to react and attack. And, and, and isn't that what kind of we, we sometimes do in different parts of our life? We maybe not so calculated and vindictive and maybe not such high school drama that I'm still living in 30 years later, but... <laughs> but we do that in preteen relationships and teen relationships, and we do that in adult relationships, and we do that in our families, and we do that in all kinds of places in our life, and we should be building each other up. We should be standing together. That's what I love about the Robertson family. One thing I like about them is that they are united. The family is supposed to be united. Relationships, we should be standing together. We shouldn't be fighting with. We should be fighting for each other. That's what that means, that scripture means. We should be coming together as one. And your body, you may not realize this, back to the natural parallel, has an immune system in it. Some of you are very familiar with that. Some of, it's, some of our immune systems are weaker than others. But it's designed to fight anything off that would hurt you in your body. And, and that's a good thing. And that's, why, that's what a family is supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do in marriages. That's what we're supposed to do in our churches. And, and that's what a friend ought to do for a friend. We should fight off anything that would hurt the relationship. What if we fought for Instead of with each other, what would happen? But the, an autoimmune response, autoimmune is when the immune system is not functioning properly. It's actually the opposite. It's if your immune system isn't working right, it actually makes the right thing your enemy. It attacks the right things and breaks them down and, and, and um, uh, hurts them. And that's what's happening in relationships today in our world. If you look at it, we're attacking the wrong people. We're making the wrong thing the enemy. The enemy is not her or him or that or this. It's this. It's right here. It's a heart issue. Jesus said that himself. And I had a buddy growing up who was, you know, extremely, extremely smart. And I can remember in school, his name was Grego. We used to call him Lego, my Lego, Grego. And just smart, smart kid. But because of rejection, 
because of rejection. He ultimately dropped out of school and he was a drug addict and just got totally sidetracked because every relationship that was close to him was, 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 it was an autoimmune response, was attacking him instead of helping him and building him up. It should be totally different. God wants to take the different blockages in our life and, and, and learn from them. And what if parents and what if loved ones and what if, ch- what if friends and what if, you know, what if our spouse did something different? Here's the next one, bitterness instead of blessing. Bitterness instead of blessing. Are you getting something out of this? The enemy has a much, listen to this about bitterness. Bitterness could be likened to unforgiveness, okay? You could just, they're, they're, they're synonymous, all right? Unforgiveness or bitterness is, it's like a staph infection. It affects everything. It is, it is systemic. It carries. Unforgiveness, listen, as Christians, this is, this is hard to hear. As Christians, we have a responsibility and obligation to forgive. Why? Because if we ever going to need forgiveness from God, we're going to have to forgive. Scripturally, it says that. It's all over the place. Ephesians 4.32, Colossians 3.13. It's everywhere you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. All right? That does not mean, now, forgiveness and trust are mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean you have to trust the person. It doesn't mean what happened wasn't real. It doesn't mean you're more minimizing the offense or the hurt or the pain. No, it's just saying that you have to release them. You have to release them. What, what's, what sometimes motivates me sometimes is to look past the immediate pain to see the ultimate plan sometimes of, of, of the enemy or God, depending on which way you want to look at it. But a lot of times we're going through a tough situation in relationship with a particular person right now in our life, and we're saying, this, this stinks really bad. All I can think about is this issue. But listen, the enemy of your soul, he's not looking at just this issue. He's, he's seeing way past that. He's not just trying to... He, you need to release this person because he's trying to just not just destroy this relationship. He wants to use this incident scenario or situation to destroy every relationship thereafter. His agenda is way bigger than this one right here. That's why it's so important that you not be bitter, but you instead have blessing over people. I don't know if you got that, but it's like heartburn. It hurts you. You think by holding on to that bitterness and holding on to that resentment or unforgiveness, you're hurting them. You're not hurting them. You're hurting you, and you're hurting everybody else after you in the process. Just as a point of levity, I heard a story of a, of a golf guy. I'm not a golf guy, but his name was Fred, and he got home from a Sunday round of golf, and he was tired, and he was upset, and he was bitter, and he was kind of just, just kind of making some noise, and his wife's trying to find out what's the matter, you know, bad day at the course, honey, bad day at the course. He said, yeah, everything was going just fine until Harry had a heart attack and died on the 10th tee. Oh, my gosh, that's awful. He says, you're not kidding. For the whole back nine, it was hit the ball, drag Harry, hit the ball, drag Harry, hit the ball, drag Harry, hit the ball, drag Harry. Anyway, that's funny. I don't care what you... But that's what we do. We drag this offense around everywhere we're going. And we leave a trail behind us while we're doing it. Ephesians 4 begs us to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. That's the motivation. God forgave you. You forgive others. Say, it's not that easy. I know, you might have to do it every day. You might have to do it more than once. Here's the last one. Now, this word isn't the perfect word. It's a more all-encompassing aspect or definition of this word than maybe what you think. But but the word is lust. Lust instead of loyalty. Lust instead of loyalty. 
The first issue that we saw is kind of more genetic. Some of them are more choices. This one is more environmental or it's a result of conditioning, environmental conditioning. We've all been affected by this one, all of us. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I want something, and I want it now. What James 4 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Do they not come because of the sinful desires in your own heart that you wrestle with? You look it up on your own. That's what happens. I just, I want when I want, and I want it now. We've all been polluted by this. Lust will pollute your heart, it's everywhere. David, when we're talking about sexual temptation, he said, I'll let no vile thing come through my eye gate because he knows that which comes through the eyes tattoos the heart, stains the heart. Why? Because, it, because it's, it's, it, lust will destroy us. It's a worldly pollution. You may not realize this, and that's okay. I, I, I don't realize it either most of the time, but more than 90%, this is just one particular category of lust, but more than 90%, of sex scenes are out of the marriage context through the media. 90%. So when you watch, is it, is, it, is it possible that just over time that a generation has redefined relationships based on what it has been exposed to over time? Is it possible that when I was, I know there's many things in my life that when I was young I thought this was wrong and I had a belief that was here, and, my, and I wanted to move my behavior to my belief, but as I grew older, my belief moved here, and I just kept moving. I kept changing my beliefs to match my behaviors. I think that's what a whole, a whole generation has done. A lot of it has to do with worldly pollution. It has to do with lust. We've changed our beliefs to conform to our behavior instead of changing our behavior to conform to our beliefs. In Mark 7, 21, it says, For, with, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Sounds like a promotion for a new movie. <laughs> All of these evils come from inside, everybody say inside, inside, and make us unclean. The problem is undetectable in most cases, yet so prevalent. Men are not the only ones who struggle. Women struggle with this. Everybody struggles with. The bottom line is, you can write this, he knows that lust leads to comparison. Lust leads to comparison, and comparison kills intimacy. The goal that God has for you in your relationships, one of them is intimacy. What is intimacy? It's letting somebody into me see. We're letting somebody look inside the real us and see the real me, and I'm okay to show you that person, and you love me? That's what God did for us or wants to do for us. And he wants us to have that with someone else. In the process of seeing us the way we really are, not some facade of what we want to be or think we or you know, hope to be, but the real us is where we grow. Intimacy is when somebody loves you as you really are. But the world wants to offer something else opposite of intimacy. You can't. You, nobody will love you like that. You have to look like this. You have to talk like this. You have to behave like this. You have to know this or know that. It's completely the opposite. Worldly pollution, and it creates comparison. And it kills intimacy and it changes the dynamics of relationships. And as a result, we devalue people and we move from selfless to selfish and, and it consumes us. And we become disloyal to the principles of relationship. And you know what else happens? We judge others to hide our sin. That's what happens sometimes. I know this is tough. Can you guys handle it out there? So that's what the diagnosis is. Let's get to the remedy quickly. Now we're going to build a foundation of what love actually is and what it should behave like. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, Love should be our greatest aim. Above everything else, love should be your greatest aim. You can look at it for yourself, different 
different translations that say basically the same thing. Because here's what love is not. First, love is not a feeling. I got two songs going through my head at the same time. More than a feeling and feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. Sorry. It's going to be a little bit every time. But it's incredible what people think love is. I just... I just, you know, I, I just, I, I fell in love. I fell in, I feel so strongly towards him. I fell in love. We talk about love like it's a ditch you fall into. <laughs> well, you need to get back out of the ditch. You know what I mean? And then what happens is if that's the definition that love is like a ditch you just fell into, then it's real easy to just fall out of it again and give up on it and quit. And I can't help it anymore. I just don't love him anymore. And I just, I want to, I just can't. I just don't feel it anymore. Feelings are not the issue. To keep, to keep it happy today, let me just give you a survey of what some four- and eight-year-olds said. Let's, let's see what the wisdom you know, of the youth and the young would say out of the mouths of babes. They, this is a survey about what they said about love. Erica, age six, said this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So granddad does it for her, even though he has arthritis too. That's love. That, that girl's got a deep understanding of love, doesn't she? Because anybody that would touch a toe <laughs> is really going to love somebody. <laughs> I can't even touch my own. Dominic, a four-year-old boy. Love is when a boy puts on cologne and a girl puts on perfume and they go out and just smell each other. <laughs> you go, Dominic. <laughs> Emily, age eight, said, love is when you kiss all the time and when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together. My mom and dad are like that, but they look gross when they kiss. <laughs> Listen to Bobby. This is kind of profound. Bobby, age seven, said, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you just stop opening presents and just listen. Wow. Whoa. I feel so dumb. Uh, <laughs> Nikki, age six, if you want to learn to be a better lover, you should start with a friend that you hate. Wow. Real love, again, is not what makes... It's not what the world makes it out to be. It's not box of chocolates and flowers and, you know, and movies and roses. Love is greater than that. Um, the word in the Greek for, for love is agape. Agape. It means unconditional love. Unconditional love. It means I'm not going to wait before I do it. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to initiate. I'm not going to wait. The reason many don't experience love is because they are waiting they're waiting for some kind of feeling to hit them, and then they'll react, or then they'll respond. And folks, real love is when you don't feel it. I never, and my wife did this way more than me, so she deserves all the props. I'll just put it over to her. My wife never got up out of bed to take care of the kids in the middle of the night because she felt like it. To change one of the kids' diapers. She never felt like doing that. She did it because of her understanding of love. It wasn't based on a feeling. Can I have an amen out there? Sometimes we just don't get that. I don't go out and start my wife's car in the freezing cold so she can get in the car and it not be freezing cold because I feel like it. Do you understand? I don't feel like it either. You know, I can remember, you know, there's times where there's just these moments. We have them every single day of our life. My wife will come home, and this is a big deal to her, and it scores big points. In fact, when, when we score points in, my, in our house, in our relationship, specifically Stacey and I, we'll do this little thing. We go... Ding. It's a little, it's a little points, you know, ding. You get a certain number of points, guys. Anyway, um, that comes later, a couple weeks. Uh, you want to be there for that. Anyway, 
so she'll come home from grocery shopping and she'll call in. She'll say, I need somebody to help carry the groceries. Bring, help me come out and bring in the groceries. Because she doesn't want to bring all these groceries. Like, we have like 18 million people that eat, right? So I could be laying on the couch, chilled out, totally almost half, half out, whatever. And she says that, do I want to get up? No, I don't. But because of what love's definition is, and because love is about serving her, I get up. Ding! It goes better for you that way, all right? So, baby, what can I do for you? That should be our kind of heart's crying. What if both people were doing that? When that is reciprocated, not I'm waiting for her to do it, but I, I, I focus on me, and she focuses on me so that we work. Amen? <laughs> anyway, healthy hearts. Healthy hearts know this. There's two things I want to tell you, and then we'll wrap it up. Healthy hearts know that love is an action. Everybody say action. Action, action. We want action. A-C-T-I-O-N. It's doing something for someone else. You can't take this out of Christianity. It's not, you know, spontaneous. The Holy Spirit came upon me and I was just nice to my wife. I read 29 scriptures and renewed my mind such that I wanted to say these things. Thus saith I unto the Lord, you are the most beautiful wife that ever lived. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's just do what the word says. Love is action. 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? We're with what? Actions and in truth. Number two, love is a decision. This is a huge one. It's a choice. I made a decision when I got married. It's a choice to keep it. It's a choice for her to keep it. It's, it's, it's a, we, our strongest muscle we have in our body is our free will. It's also the weakest muscle, potentially is our free will. But love doesn't wait for a feeling. It's not emotionally driven. If you're going to take this journey, then that means you're going to have to deal with the heart issue. You're going to have to define love the right way. It's a decision. It's a, it's a choice. It's, a, it's not a feeling. And you're going to choose to let God heal your heart. Colossians says, and above all these virtues, put on love which binds them together. I pray in, Hebrews, in, excuse me, in Ephesians 3, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart living within you as you trust him. May your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love and may you be able to feel and understand how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is and experience this love for yourselves. Why is that so important? Because you can't give away something that you have not received. You have not received. I don't know where you're at in your relationships. Listen to me on this one, if you can. I know there's a tendency to kind of check out at a certain point. Please don't wait to change. Until you hurt enough, you have to. Some of you are like, they're like my buddy. If he had one more stressful thing happen, he could have died. Some of you are like fourth and one for a major problem. You don't know it because it's undetectable. And maybe in God's mercy and grace, he's speaking to you through, you know, a Cajun wannabe preacher this morning. And tell you something. Let it stick. Don't let it just go in one ear out the other. Don't wait till it's too late to love the people that are in your life. You won't be happy waiting. Deal with the pollution in your heart. Please, this series, as we go forward, you got to deal with the heart for this, thing to hold, this whole thing to work. Let me tell you a story about myself. In, in 2012, approximately, first part of the year, God was dealing with me about something in my devotional life. And I consider myself a people person. I love people, honestly. I'm not trying to, you know, I make jokes and stuff like that. But I do. I love people. I'm a pastor. It would be crazy to do it if you didn't like people. And, but God was dealing with me about my compassion, my heart, you know, towards people. And 
And basically, he was saying, your heart isn't anywhere where it needs to be. And it was in particular in a category, um, a lack of compassion and, and, and sympathy uh, for people who are suffering. Most areas do good, but certain, certain things. I, have, I, have, I don't have time for this, but I have strong constitutions and convictions. And you just kind of, when you don't feel well, you're not doing well, just pick yourself up from your bootstraps. Suck it up. You know, that's kind of the kind of mentality I have. Because of that side, sometimes I, I, I can look at situations in a negative way. You know, thumb suckers and things like that go through my brain. I don't say them, but I sometimes think them. And I knew it. And God was speaking to me and trying to get my attention. And, and, and different times in my life, I, I, I'm doing this because I'm thinking about remote controls. Or I'm watching television, and, and there's different times God would speak to me. And you ever watch those commercials, and you see, like, hurting people in other parts of the world or people who, you know, are suffering from starvation. And you kind of, like, you just kind of click through the channels real quick to go to something more entertaining. And then right after that, you're like, should I have felt something about that? Is, was, am I normal? Is there something wrong? You ever thought something like that when you're kind of just sweeping through those things real quickly? Is anybody checking with what I'm saying? And, and should, I, should that have bothered me a little bit more? Should I have at least prayed for a second for those people? And where's the compassion? And where's the, where's the empathy or sympathy, I should say? And so I was feeling and thinking those things, but while God's trying to speak to me. I want, you, I want to deal with part of your heart. And every time I do it, I just kind of turn on the volume, click the channel. I don't want to hear it. Anymore. I don't really want to hear it. And, and, I, and it just kept happening. And, and God wants to speak to someone today through this. And, I, and that's why I'm taking a little extra time on this. But please don't turn them off. Last service, I did this. And somebody had a major breakthrough in their life. Because they, they were turning them off. And trust me, it's harder later. It's so hard later. In 2013, a year later, I was one of those people, so to speak, on the other side of the television. I was hurting. I got sick. I don't get sick. I ne- hardly ever, I've never been to the doctor other than one particular occasion to stop the continuous population of my family. <laughs> Sorry about that. Too much information. Um, other than that, I hadn't gone to the doctor. And so I don't, like, I don't like going to the doctor. I like doctors. I don't like going to the doctor. And so I had to. I was very sick. And I can just remember, you know, thinking in bed different times, a whole different view of things. And, and God was, he was basically wanting to enlarge my heart for people. And I, and, I, and I wasn't letting him in 2012, but in 2013, I had a physical problem, but I had a spiritual problem that he was addressing. He was expanding my heart. I had some cool breakthroughs with God in the hospital. Sometimes... I didn't even know what was happening. It was kind of a spiritual surgery. It was like a triple bypass. He was cleansing me. He was giving me a new heart. He was filling me with his spirit for people. In fact, there's a, there's a, young, there's a guy in the room here. I was actually talking to about the Lord. I don't even remember all of it. Some of it I do, but he'd come in and he'd take my blood every day, and I'd talk to him about church and talk to him about God. And, and then uh, when I got out of the hospital three months later, I see him out in the parking lot, and I think, you remember me? I'm like, I think so. And, and anyway, where's Caesar? Is he that Caesar? He, he, he and all his, his, his beautiful family and friends are here now in church because I was just kind of, it was coming out of my heart. Not, you know, it's like out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says the mouth speaks because God was doing a work in my heart. Whereas I, I never wanted to be in that situation, but I had a totally different view. And since then, I've had a different view, but it co- requires constant conditioning and, and looking at and examining and sometimes testing and stressing the heart. God wants to do something in our hearts. 
You have to ask him to open your heart to him. And I think God wants to take our church to a greater heart capacity for him so that we can actually really be happy, happy, happy and give that away to someone else. Are you here? Would you stand your feet so I can pray for you? I'll close with this little illustration. My, my wife and I, when we express our love for each other, our affection for each other, and we don't want to call a lot of attention to each other, or frankly, we're just really exhausted. We have this little thing we do. We just, little tap, three taps to start. I just do one tap, four, three. And then she'll go one, four, three, two. It stands for I love you and I love you too. Sometimes we'll be in bed and I've been in bed a little earlier than her, vice versa, and I'm too tired to just kind of, you know, move. And so I'll kind of reach my hand through the covers and try to find, like, her leg or her face, and we'll just go. And then she'll just kind of weave on back through there, try to find something, you know, get my neck or her forehead or my leg, and she'll do. We do it every single day of our lives over and over and over again to express love for each other. The reason I tell you that is this, because I think God is tapping you. Because you can't love him back until you first receive his love. And I want you to just close your eyes for a second. I want you to receive maybe God's love for you today. Some of you have a heart condition. There's pollution. You need surgery. The surgery isn't go out there and I need to do this. and I need to do that. And that's right. I need to be selfless. And I need to be... I need to be nicer to people, and I need to, you don't need to do anything. It's already been done. You need to receive God's love so you are empowered to love other people. I'm telling you, you can't do it. I can't live that life except by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The secret sauce to this crazy nuts world that we live in right now and the relationship problems that we have and the heart arteriosclerosis of our heart is totally, total surrender to God. And some of you may see him as your savior, but you've never really made him Lord. Were you willing to just follow him and do everything he says because he knows best for you? Instead of keeping him in the back seat in the rear view mirror of your life, you're going to put him in the front seat of your life. You may be here today and you want to make him saved. You realize you need his help. You can't be saved from something until you recognize you need help. You can't do it by yourself. There's a heart condition that you can't fix by yourself. If that's you and you know that and you've never, you've never invited Christ into your life before, I'm going to pray for another group who have. But if that's you, you've never invited Christ into your life before, I want you to raise your hand good and high and just say, that's me. Would you pray for me, Pastor, before I leave today? I'm not going to call you out. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Is there anybody else that says, that's me? I have a heart condition. And only God can heal. God bless you. Somewhere in the back there, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I see your hand, buddy. Thank you. Now, if you're here today and you know as a believer, like, I've already, I've already done that. I've, I've made that connection between me and Jesus, but you know what? Pollution's come in. Uh, environment. I haven't been living selflessly. I haven't been following what I need to know. And today I've been reminded, but I've also been kind of corrected in a positive way. And I want to get back on course. And I want to place more of my trust in God today. And I want my heart to be enlarged. I don't want to hurt so bad I have to change. I might not get a chance to change like PD did in the hospital. But I want my heart to be enlarged for people, the people that God has put in my life. I don't want them, I don't want an autoimmune response. I want an immune response. I want to fight for, not with the people in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, all over the room. Come on, don't miss an opportunity for God to do a work in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, everybody put your hand on your heart. 
just as a sign. And I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit do surgery. But before we do, would you just say, Jesus, everybody, Jesus, come into my life in a fresh way. I need you. I can't do it without you. <laughs> You're my Savior, but I make you my Lord today as well. Would you lead me and guide me and instruct me how to do relationships the right way in Jesus' name? And I'm going to pray for you. It's every heart, Lord. I pray it's as if your hand is on their heart today and you do a spiritual surgery that no, no doctor could do in the natural. Only the Holy Spirit could do. Lord, there are people in this room who are hurting bad, bad. Some relationships were a lot of pain. Not so happy. Not so happy. I pray you do a miracle. And they see that the miracle starts with me. Not with them. Not with somebody else. Because of the hardness of my heart, the relationships are hurting real bad. And if, if I could do something different on the inside of me, I would, but I can't. And so I need you to help me. Holy Spirit, go in there and empower them. Fill them with your love, God. May they see how much you love them. While I lied in that bed, feeling so ashamed for, for the judgment, for the criticism, and for the lack of compassion, and, and sometimes sympathy towards other people, God said, I love you, son. It's okay. I just needed to get your attention. Now I have. And I pray that God has your attention. Now, as you fix your eyes on him, he'll fix everything that's going on inside of you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. Yeah.